actually, before I play the music, if you guys would just do me a favor, um, if you guys would just reach out and touch somebody really quick, just for good luck. And, sit and say this word. Pawaba, pawaba, pawaba. It was Puaba. It was a Puaba? <laughs> I just have it from my notes. I don't remember. Good afternoon, Meat Suits. Welcome back to Read and Weep Season 3, Slightly Condescending Film School. I am your host, Alex Falcone, recording from North Koreatown, Los Angeles. Our show today is brought to you, as always, by our fabulous Meat Buddies. And we've got two big Meat Buddy initiatives going on that uh, are really kicking into high gear this week. Infrequently Asked Questions and Ezra Credit. Uh, both of those I'll talk more about a little bit later in the show, but I'm really excited about both of them, and I appreciate all our Meat Buddies who have helped out with it and hopefully feel more engaged and connected. Um, if you want to join these epic heroes who throw away their hard-earned dollars... Oh, and we got um, we got, actually got euros from Mateus last week from Finland, so it's people who throw away their hard-earned local currency to help keep this show floating down the tracks, go to metreon.com, and we really appreciate everybody who supports the show... Let me introduce you to our panel today. It is our classic condescending film school professors joining me. First up at Anthony Lopez Part 2 from Southeast Portland. It's Mr. Anthony Lopez. Hey, excited to be here. Uh, I am in Portland, but my mind and heart still in the jungle. (laughs) (laughs) Also joining us, he's at Hunbun on Letterboxd from the woods of Arkansas, which is probably closer to the jungle. There's probably more bugs. Uh, It's Hunter Donaldson. Yo, I'm Hunter Donaldson. <laughs> you, buddy. And is this how you, by the way, is that how you categorize jungle by the amount of bugs? Is that like the threshold? I would say, there's a, I, I was going to, I mean, it's really is the number of trees and the rain. And I would say he's got you on, and, and bugs. Those are the three things. And I think the woods versus Portland has more trees, more bugs. Portland's got more rain. I, I like to measure jungles, the forest, by how much uh, displeasure Werner Herzog would have by being in it. <laughs> and the more he hates it, the more it's likely a jungle. In the, I mean, in Portland is technically like a cold mind. jungle, I believe. I think it's like, it's yeah. a rainforest, but not a jungle. Yeah, concrete jungle. You know what I mean, buddy? Also a, yeah, that's where I am. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, you guys do have more bugs, I know, because uh, Hunter, your girlfriend, sent me a picture of the craziest bug last week we've got a, so, a lot of pretty wild bugs to be honest yeah, it's it's nuts it's nuts uh, also very nice of her to show off but also the reason she did it is because i told her how much i hate bugs and so it sort of feels like i was like i'm a hemophiliac and she's like check out this crazy knife <laughs> so like not the it was not the best time watching that crazy ass bug but yeah yeah well you know i mean the second you tell somebody like hey i'm really I scared know. of x it's kind of just an invitation right you know in a weird way in a friendly I, way you know it's just a picture of a bug she could have mailed you a bug you know what i mean yeah yeah she wasn't trying to hurt me i guess all the way that she's trying man, to help mailing, you mailing somebody a bug that is fucked up um, you probably could do it yeah i th- this is because i told i was telling her we had um we discovered that one of the spiders that in our house ate another one of our house spiders so there's like a, they're getting stronger. There's like a survival of the fittest spiders going on. There's a super spider. Yeah. I'm not yeah. sure. It's crazy. That's totally happening. Yeah. That's just happening everywhere. You know, <laughs> I think it's great thinking about spiders because they're, they're like an encouraging, um, you know, 
like spiders are doing better today than they have ever done. Did you know that? Interesting. I did not know that. Spider stock is actually quite up. I mean, really, the thing about spiders is that they're the ultimate like anti-hero of the insect world. You know, like everyone, a lot of people dislike them. And they're like, you know, a lot of people have weird feelings about them and get scared and don't like the look of them. But like, they're actually doing good work. You know, they just, we just don't like their methods. You know, right. it's, well, I right. <laughs> I did say our house spiders. We don't kill spiders, and we don't bring them outside to let them die in the dark outside. You just we live let with the them. spiders yeah. live, live because we think they're killing more of the bugs that we hate more. Exactly, like classic the silverfish stuff. Exactly, yeah. There's like um, yeah. There's there's some some secret vengeance going on, yeah. and I like that. So well, they're with that big spider. What you need to do is establish dominance, though. So you need to yeah yeah. <laughs> Pin it to the ground and stare it into its eyes until it blinks first. Oh you my know? god. spider. They have too many eyes though. Do spiders have we, a lot of we, eyes? I don't know. How spider eyes. They do. Work. No, they have a All lot right. of eyes. They do they have transition like, into our first yeah. segment. Um, besides thinking about spiders, um, what else have you watched this week? Um, and my before I ask one of you in particular, let me just ask you, did you either of you watch the Animaniacs reboot? I have not. I have not. Okay, so then I'm going to mostly not talk about that then. I had a couple oh, of directions why, why I could not? go with this, but um, well, I had I'd written a bunch of other things and then Anthony made a pinky in the brain reference earlier and I remembered that I've been watching the Animaniacs reboot and having a lot of weird feelings about it. Um, I had a lot of weird feelings when I read I read an article that said they took out Hello Nurse. They did, And yeah. then I realized that Hello Nurse is really messed up, but I yeah, didn't realize it until I read the article, which feels I mean, like I'm a dumbass. Well, but I mean, it's also it was an out. It was like an old reference in the nineties, yeah. And so even though it was gross, we were too young to care. Like, there's a lot of gross things about it. That was one of the things about Amy X that's great is that they were like they would do some pretty aggressively gross stuff for the parents to enjoy. Not like like Sesame Street will be like, oh, Placido Flamingo. Only parents get that joke. But this is like there was an Animaniacs joke I remember um, where like they're they're detectives and. Uh, uh, like uh, Yakko is assigning them different jobs and he's like, uh, Wacko, go look for this uh, dot fingerprints. And then they show her holding the artist prints. Oh. And she goes, okay. <laughs> and like, that's, that is a filthy joke that I did that's not really gross. <laughs> the weird thing about the Animaniacs was it's not just, it's a, like, there's actually like three levels to the humor. So there's like that base kid stuff. There's the kind of adult humor. And then the real Animaniacs difference from most kids shows is that they are also like aggressively inside baseball uh, Hollywood yes. jokes. Yeah, that's like, a good point. Yeah. I, I didn't realize until, I don't know, when they announced the Animaniacs reboot or whatever, they like, someone had posted the t- the credit scenes from the original series and i forgot that there's like there's like a joke about pay or play contracts yeah yeah which yeah, is yeah. the type of thing that like you have to like you have to be pretty inside baseball to know what a pay I, or play contract is. You'll have no idea what that is. And I am, I it's, live in Hollywood. Yeah. A pay or play contract is basically you're getting paid no matter what. Uh, it's oh, a, it's whether or not the show happens. Well, a movie happens. Yeah. It's like directors mm. get attached to stuff all the time. Uh, but it's like, yeah, you get like a $3 million pay or pre- pay or play pro- contract, whether the mm. movie or show goes ahead, you're still getting that $3 million no matter what that's so like, 
you know, there's like interesting st- stories about like certain actors getting pay or play contracts and then trying to get fired so they don't have to do the work, but they still right. get the money. Yeah, uh, they just do it to people to our... who are like red hot. You know, it's yeah, like somebody's yeah. like the the bee, the bee's knees right now, so they'll just give them that. This feels related to some some of our discussion we're about to have about Marlon Brando. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but uh, so. General feelings on Animaniacs was one. The theme song has been stuck in my head since I watched the first one of it. Um, and I'm annoyed by that. Uh, two, some of the updates like the hello nurse thing is like they switched from in the theme song from uh, dot is cute to dot has wit. So they like made her more of a, a character that has a brain as well, mm-hmm. um, which is yeah, positive. Really tired of people sexualizing dot, you know, just the way a whole <laughs> The whole show was always so graphic, her fingering prints, you know. Well, like, here's and it's the like, problem. I don't want to jerk off the cartoons, but if you're going to make me, I mean. This child dog yeah. person is what you're really into. Yeah. No, I, I, here, I didn't get the, the joke thing. that it was dot as in the dot in the Warner Brothers name uh, oh. until recently. Uh, I still don't explain but, that to me. Well, the Warner Brothers logo has a big period at the end of it. So when they're, oh. they're the Warner Brothers plus their sister Dot, it's the Warner Brothers and Dot. That's like the the Warner Brothers well, logo. Great, man, you've explained two things to me already, uh, and I was bringing this segment forward. That is really interesting. Um, I guess I will say there. If you look at their logo, it's not Warner Brothers; it's Warner Bros. Period, and that is a little bit still the problem. Is even the new reboot is like a little broy and um i'm not there's like a joke in the new credit sequence about like being um pronoun neutral and stuff which is like if you want to really seem dated in a hurry uh <laughs> make it clear that you are not you don't understand pronouns right like make a big deal out of that um as a friend of mine would have said so i anyway it's it's like weird it's weird so i i'm I'm, i don't love it but it's also kind of comforting in some ways it's weird but let me do i want to do a quick thing instead uh, like i know i've already taken too much time but really quick lightning bonus round of things that i watched this week because there are three things that i finished this week that were all related to previous discussions and i want to tell you guys really fast that i did them so one is i watched dracula dead and loving it (laughs) how did old um uh, you know, it's more of a faithful adaptation of the Dracula story and fewer jokes than I expected. Um, there's like a lot of scenes that go by where they're not even trying to joke. They're just like, we're doing this movie with a low budget. Um, I mean, that sums up the last several <laughs> Mel Brooks's movies pretty specifically. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a huge really Mel Brooks fan. Uh, but yeah, his last few movies, he kind of lost the touch you know there's a couple of good jokes i i mean like and there's like a classic stupid mel brooks joke that really got me where they're like listing all the vampire books that they don't have and then he's like do you have nosferatu and he goes yes we have nosferatu anyway that's really dumb and i like that <laughs> um anyway uh it was fine it was fine it was not not terrible um i watched ghosts of the abyss which you recommended, which is James Cameron's Titanic movie. Is for people that, who have not seen it, is that the one when uh, they he breaks the news to the crew that nine eleven happened? Yeah, I was just gonna say it's the weirdest nine <laughs> eleven movie I've ever seen because they like they lose a submarine and then spend all day finding the submarine and rescuing it, and then they get back to the surface and they're like, "We did it!" And someone is like, "Guess what happened up here?" <laughs> It's oh, a man. very strange part yeah. of the movie. Um, also, Bill Paxton is a whiny little baby who's afraid of submarines, and I was really annoyed by him. Um, that's, but, wait, it, is he really? Because that's hilarious. Yeah. 
yeah, he's so afraid of being in submarines. And I'm like, well, we'll that's funny because he's famously afraid. Like that's his that's his thing, that's right? His character. Yeah, it makes yeah. total sense. Um, and then lastly, I read uh, Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula Le Guin, Ooh. which came up a little while ago. Classic sci-fi. And we didn't even talk about when we mentioned Ursula a few weeks ago that she's like a Portland author. Like we should. Mm-hmm. She's like one of our mo- most famous authors. And I did not know that. Um, anyway, great book. Really good book. Not what I was expecting. Really interesting direction that took. And she's uh, just pretty amazing. Was just pretty incredible. Amazing. Yeah. 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 It was uh, died not too long ago. Yeah. Um, right. But yeah, such an interesting book. Um, although I will say one thing that I did notice is that sometimes science fiction books that do too many made up words, my brain starts to gloss over anytime it's like, well, the garble snatch is into the marfle farfle. You're like, well, okay, like just tell me what it is. I don't know. Don't make me remember that you have doof- different words for all of the days. I just, mm. yeah, it's I, a little bit hard to keep track of. I mean, does, does the book have a glossary at the end of it? Because that, that always in- intimidates me when I see that there's a glossary at the end of the book. Like, well, well, I was annoyed because right. I was doing it on the Kindle, didn't know there was a glossary at the end. So I got to the end and I was like, oh, that's what all those words meant. <laughs> <laughs> That's anyway, funny. that's my lightning bonus round of homework that you guys assigned me previously um, or just mentioned and made me interested in. Okay, Hunter, what have you been watching this week? Um, well, you know, I not a lot. It's actually kind of hard for me to come up with what I want to talk about. I have been playing a lot of... Uh, I, I wonder if you... if Anthony, how do you feel about like the Souls games like like Dark Souls and Demon I, Souls? Uh, and... I am a very big fan. I've played oh, okay, all cool. of them. Well, well then, I'll I'll just talk about this. I've been I've been playing uh, what's called Sekiro. Fuck yeah! Shadows Die Twice uh, is the full title. Good title. Whoa. Uh, it's a samurai uh, game where, where you, well, actually, you play as a ninja. Now that I think about it, yeah. uh, a shinobi, um, mm. and it's really hard. Uh, mm-hmm. And it it's part of this. Uh, well, it's actually not part of any like series or anything, but it's made by this uh, developer called From Software. Uh, who through the 2010s have just been making games that are just hard to play. Like that's just kind of the whole, the whole thing about it. They're just like but, a varsity level game like, company. But like kind of fair and like, it's always oh, yeah, your yeah. fault. I mean like, but also at the same time, been like <laughs> the most influential video game company of the last 10 years. Like, uh, yeah, their first game, Demon Souls, which has just got a big remake on the PS5. Like when that came out, it had all these like sort of weird, esoteric ideas in it that people like laughed at and like some people really responded to and now 10 years later like one in five games uses those mechanics like they just became such a um interesting such an influential influential. yeah 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 so i i've been i've been working through that i'm probably about i think about halfway now and um so yeah just a lot of like yelling at my team I'm, I'm a pretty zen video game player but Sekiro will get me to to yell at the screen occasionally I'm, i haven't thrown my controller yet the classic thing about these games is that you get so mad that you throw your controller and break it even normal people do that with this game huh. and i have not yet but I, I i have heard that the final boss of the game is is very 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 difficult yes it is um, and I and w- which, of course, obviously, is the last thing. So they got to really, really punish you for trying to have fun, um, which <laughs> I, is great. I mean, I enjoy that a lot. Honestly, I really there's another game I've been playing called um, uh, Getting Over It with Bennett Foddy, mm-hmm. which is a game where you're just a man in a pot. Uh, 
with a hammer and you're trying to climb a mountain. That's all I'll explain about it, but huh. it's very difficult. That um, make made by sense. the same guy that made Quop, if you know what Quop is. Nope. Quop is, uh, you can just pull it up, right? If you just Google Quop, you'll realize you probably know. I'm looking know. at photos of getting over it and it's blowing my mind. Yeah. What you just described is true, but and yet the words didn't make sense until I saw it. Yeah, I mean, it is literally a man in a pot with a hammer trying to climb a mountain. Like, that is that is actually straight to the point of what the game is. And if you can't imagine the game based off that, I don't know what to tell you. You know what I mean? Well, uh, um, yeah. Quop is the one where you have to learn to walk? Yes. Yeah, so Quop is like, you're like a, you're like a, 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 a Olympics-like runner, and uh, the controls are Q-W-O-P on your keyboard, and those mm. each control different parts of your oh. legs. But, crazy um i do want to let's uh, that's hilarious i want to talk about Sekiro with you though how yeah um, yeah yeah. how um have you gotten to genshin asha ashina the like the, the boss the guy, at the top at the like the big tower you're trying to get to through the first part yeah and then he's got like lightning bolt stuff yeah yeah and, yeah, yeah yes. i uh i've been Sekiro a few times now is probably my favorite game of the year it came out I, I would put it up there with Bloodborne as like my favorite game from software has made. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed uh, that game. I think like the, it's, you know, the, like the other souls games, there's so many ways that like they're, they're brutally difficult, but they give you a lot of sort of like options and there's sort of a lot of ways to sort of cheese enemies or like be a big guy sure. with a shield. Sekiro was like one of the first games I've ever played where it's just like, you have to, learn to play this specific way and get better at it uh and it like it feels so good like um i when i first got the game i beat most of it in like a week and i got to the final boss and for some reason i was just having a lot of trouble the second time i beat the game i beat the boss like my second time trying it but the first time took me like a week and a half of just like a few hours every day trying to beat him and i remember like uh, my wife was out with a few friends getting coffee and they came in right as I beat the boss. And I was so elated that I was just yeah. screaming like, take it, you motherfucker. <laughs> and they walked in and thought I had lost and were like, oh, man, that game's really hard. I was like, no, this is my victory sound. This yeah. Is- <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm excited I- you're into it. I uh- Can I can I make a stupid observation? I was just yes. looking at some video from Dark Souls um, and I... I like when the items screen or the equipment screen, like it's it's like it's not a modern design. It's over a piece of like ancient weathered leather that like I like that it's as if this game was designed at the time by the best <laughs> PS5 designers of this time period. I just think that's very funny. I like that. That's yeah, funny. I- I uh, I'm very happy. Also, I just watched that. someone try to run in co-op and it made me laugh. So that is fascinating. I've yeah, never heard of that rules. game, and I love it. Um, all right, uh, Anthony, what have you been watching? Well, uh, there's sort of two things I want to mention. Uh, one pretty quick. I have uh, I've caught up on Doctor Who, finished uh, mm-hmm. all 12 mm-hmm. seasons with my wife over the past That's few months. so much TV, uh, man. But I, I'm going to hold off on talking about it, because I have a lot of thoughts, and they're sort of percolating. And I want to wait till after this year's Christmas episode. And I thought maybe, mm-hmm. Hunter, because you're still watching Doctor Who, right? Well, I'm actually not caught up. Like the, I, I basically when they when they got rid of Moffat and uh, Chris Chibnall came on as showrunner, I watched like maybe the first couple episodes. Um, love, uh, what is the name of the new Doctor? Jodie Whittaker. Jodie Whittaker. 
love her. Didn't really care for what was going on besides yeah. her, though. Yeah, I have some real problems with sort of all of the different runs. But I think if if you have time and want to catch up, I would love to kind of have like a longer conversation about that. But the main thing I want to talk about, um, Doctor Who is my, my version of the Vietnam running joke that Alex had. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, I was going to say, can, but, but can, actually, can I ask you a quick question about that before you move on? Which yeah. is, I know that your wife does like knitting and such. Mm-hmm. Do you do something else while you're watching 12 seasons of television in like three weeks? Or are you focused? Uh, I'm pretty focused. Sometimes I'll look at my phone or stuff. But yeah, I try to, when I watch something, watch something. Uh, Man. But, uh, and it's been, you know, it's been two, three months kind of going yeah, through no, it's it. Yeah, it's been um, a couple months, yeah. And then we're, we're starting a rewatch, a watch. My wife has never seen uh, really any of The Simpsons. So we're starting Whoa. a rewatch of that. So that should be fun to talk about. But I've not seen much of The Simpsons um, either. I've seen maybe a handful of episodes. Well, it's on maybe, Disney maybe Plus, which is the main thing I want to talk about today. Is uh, I, oh. Because we're done with Doctor Who, we finally got a chance to catch up on The Mandalorian. Uh, the second uh, season, which is four episodes in, ooh, it's yeah. it's it's okay. It's still the Mandalorian. If you like Star Wars and this kind of uh, corner of the universe, I think you'll like it. I do enjoy it enough to keep going. But what I wanted to talk about uh, the Mandalorian for, uh, which I thought would be fun with the sort of like uh, the film school theme yeah. of this season, is uh, do either of you know how they film? The Mandalorian. Have either uh, of you yeah. seen the Alex? Have you seen it's crazy? Yeah. Have you seen the sets for oh, the? No, the, no, no. I don't. So um, they film nothing about it at all. almost basically like ninety percent of the Mandalorian in one room. Um, oh, they use real projection. Uh, in the way that like the way technology can make old stuff new again. It's really really interesting. It's a very very cool um use of. Uh, emergent technology and old tool technology to create the show, but it's how they're able to do the show for by rear projection. You mean like they're just completely surrounded by screens yes. and then they're so, projected I mean, on the other you, side of the screen? No. So if you if you Google like Mandalorian behind the scenes, you'll see the pictures yeah. of it. But the way it works is it's this giant warehouse where they it's called a volume is what they call it in like mocap uh, filmmaking okay. and things. But they have this giant circular room within this room that the entire roof and all the walls are incredibly high-resolution uh, video screens. And oh, they use the Unreal Engine, which is like what powers Fortnite and a million other video games, to yeah. render the background so that this way, if they want to like move a mountain or change something in the background, they can just go into the game engine and move are it around. Are live? Do the actors see the screens? Yes. Or is yeah. it... Yeah. yeah, so everybody can see it. That's the thing, and like when you're on the set, when they turn like all the sets, like interior, exterior, almost everything is just real projected out on these screens. And the way the like the genius of it is like with most, if you did it with green screens, which has kind of been the normal way to do this, you don't do sort of yeah. real projection like this. Is you would never have a show about a guy who wears shiny armor with green screens. Because when you do that, you not only have to, like, key out the character from the background, but you have to key out the green that's reflecting on his armor and replace it with proper reflections. So it, like, doubles your workload constantly. But because of the way they shoot the Mandalorian, if it's like they're in the desert and the sun is up, because the video screen is so bright, the light off the sun is reflecting all the images off the video reflecting in his armor naturally. 
Um, so, um, is this the future or is this a fun experiment? I mean, this is definitely going to be used a lot. I, uh, um, there's a great interview with John Favreau and one of the special features for the show when he talks about how, like, the really cool thing about this is, like, this is all consumer-grade technology. None of it's proprietary, right? It's not like ILM and, like, they pioneered this, but they didn't, like, they don't own the idea of big video screens and game engines, no. you know? Yeah, so he, his thing is, like, you know, they constantly are inviting other filmmakers. I mean, this is something I love about, like, movie makers like James Cameron or George Lucas was really good with this or uh, John Favreau is turning out to be really good with this way. Like if you have a new exciting technology, like inviting all your friends to see it so that they can think of how they want to apply it. Um, but I imagine definitely more mm. shows are going to be using this idea again. It's so simple. You know, it just costs a bit to get up and running, but it's safe. Yeah, and it so changes much- the order of things because you have to solve all of the you have to figure out everything you want it to look like before you can get actors in instead of working on those together. Yeah. And you also sort of like, like the old days where you had to build sets before people got there. Yeah. But also because it's a game engine, it gives you great like sort of freedom to change stuff on the fly. True, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just really cool, innovative stuff on the, that's using, like I said, very old technology meeting new cutting edge technology. And like the way John Favreau has slowly become like this guy who is really, really innovative. Even if I don't like, like I didn't see the Lion King. I didn't want to, I didn't like the jungle book. Um, but like the way he u- is using technology, like if, you, if you're not aware, like I, thought, I didn't see the Lion King, but I saw the jungle the book. Lion I thought it was King. okay. Yeah, it's fine, but like it's a lot of like him just trying to like create and perfect new technologies in a way that I always right. admire when filmmakers do that. So like The Lion King, he directed in VR. I don't know if you know that. Um God damn. But, right now I'm nope, you've pushed me. I was impressed. Now I'm annoyed. Well, no, I don't know I mean, why that one did it, but that pushed me over the line. Why, why like, are you looking, annoyed by that? Why is that let annoying? Me, let me explain to you how it works. Yeah, so, please. Like, because everything is going to be CG, the way it would work is you motion capture your like performances that you need or anything like that, but you basically build very rough, full like like digital sets of all the scenes. Right. And like normally you would have to like be sitting at a computer or a monitor and like dragging the camera and moving it. But what the VR allows you to do is you put on a headset and you're just in that space. And then you hold like controllers that like mimic what a camera would do. And then you can walk around a digital set and put your camera wherever you want. Uh, so like you, you know, once you have all the animation and creatures moving, it just gives you this great freedom that if you're going to do a CG movie like this to like completely change the way you normally would direct it. And like, it's just just something about doing that's, that is super interesting. And it, it, it's similar to Cameron where at some point this is driving the process and not a story that is compelling or characters that people want to see, or like, it's just, it feels like if you do it once it's really cool. And if everything you do is bleeding edge, different, cool technology, at some point you might not be like, maybe you should just work for Google and not make movies because well, their well, movies are going to be boring. I think, it's, I think it's a little bit of both, really, because like while the VR thing, like the, the Lion King in general, I don't think resonated with people. I didn't feel a need to see it. I do feel like what he found with the Mandalorian uh, is is really interesting. There's something I really want to say about the show that I think is really positive. 
Um, I don't think necessarily like the scripts are really that strong. The whole show is like oddly kind of unambitious. Like they're Mm -hmm. like, we don't really, (laughs) we're not really trying to do something crazy, but it's like kind of liberating and like how much it's just trying to be like a, like just a cowboy show every week. There's something going on. But uh, the performances I think are really enhanced by the way that they do this. And it's weird to say, because I don't think the scripts are that good, but the acting pops in a way that if you compare it to like other star Wars movies, even it just pops in a way that it, the movies have not in a long time. I mean, That's so interesting. And I think this, like just looking at the pictures of this, it seems like the acting would be more realistic because they're not looking at a bunch of, big green screens you know or like mm-hmm. yeah exactly. looking at the pictures of like when they were filming um uh, clifford since that's in the news right now like yeah. the, from a, a year or two ago where it's just like a guy wearing red sweats and holding this he- this helmet above his head that looks kind of like a dog you're like yeah if you can act around that like it's a dog you're a genius but like most people who act are probably not geniuses and so you're going to get some kind of flat performances and so having the screens, especially this is like tying to, to um, our, our movie today, where a big part of what Coppola was doing was putting people in insane physical situations to get realistic responses, it seems. And so green screen stuff is kind of the opposite of that. Right. And so you're going to end up with a lot of flat performances. So this, this does seem like an improvement. But John Favreau, who I was already tempted to think was annoying, now he seems <laughs> like a little more annoying. Yeah, you a uh, weird guy. But anyway, I think <laughs> no, I, no, no, I, no, no, no. Let me, I, let me. Just watching from... interviews with John Favreau, his opinions about stuff are kind of annoying. Yeah. Anyway, so I think the Mandalorian. Like, if you want to get to the my thoughts on the show, is like I think you're absolutely right, Hunter. I agree with you. To me, that the reason why I think that worked is because it feels like the fifty of fifties adventure serials that like inspire Star Wars. You know what I mean? Like that yeah, to yeah, me totally. is what I like about the Mandalorian. Is that because it yeah. is kind of light and non-ambitious? It feels like a really fancy show from the fifties that's just like trying to entertain you for half an hour. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's cool. But yeah, I I I have a lot of respect for like. I mean, the thing is, I think that there's like there's a line between like some like what John Favreau is doing, or like I think Cameron is not a, a very good example because I I think like. What he's doing is, like, innovative, but also, like, he does care about story. You might not like it, but, like, there's a reason why his movies make $2 billion. But anyway, like, my thing is with filmmakers, when you look at, like, like I think Ang Lee is one of the greatest living filmmakers. Uh, I think Robert Zemeckis was one of the greatest living filmmakers. But I think that they are great examples of what you're talking about, where, like, like Robert Zemeckis was like, okay, I want to help the next generation of filmmakers so Mm -hmm. i'm gonna take the hits and i'm gonna make a bunch of monstrous horrible looking (laughs) mocap movies but that was because he was like i people are going to use this technology that like i'm helping invent and ang lee is doing that with like high frame rate stuff now that i don't think is working very well like that (laughs) that annoys me and that makes me very very sad because I, i would love a just proper ang lee movie or just proper robert zemeckis movie but they don't really make that stuff anymore can Um, i change the subject just a tiny bit and float another opinion you might not like sure can we have well what do you think about this i was thinking today that i would like i i believe it's warner brothers to do to harry potter what disney did to star wars and just take it from the bad person who made it well, the thing is, you and can't just, really take it. You have to 
buy yeah, it give for five billion dollars. I don't care. Yeah, let her have all the money in the world. Um, but just like, can you just buy her out and then? Because I do feel like even though a lot of the Star Wars things are not have not been that compelling, it just feels nice to have bringing in all these different voices to take the series, take this world that was created, and see what they could do and play in it. And since she has become problematic and annoying, it would just be lovely. And I don't, I mean, like, it's hard to compare her sins to George Lucas, who's like, it doesn't seem like he's transphobic. He just made shitty movies. But like, I just like the, sometime I just, I was, anyway, what do you think about taking someone's creative, like buying out somebody's creative property to get them away from it so that you can do better Uh, things? I would rather them spend that money inventing their own unique properties. Um, like, well, sure, but knowing that that's physically impossible. Well, then I just I think we've got enough of that. I, yeah, I wouldn't I, just, I wouldn't be too excited about. I don't need like any that. more Harry Potter stuff ever. Personally, I don't I don't really. Care well, yeah, stuff. that. But also, I'm I think I've just had enough of like you know the fact that Disney owns so many things. It, it's it, it yeah sure there some good has come out of it as far as like entertainment value, but overall Mostly I think bad. it is a net bad yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah, and well, I, I don't know how you could say it's a net bad with Star Wars since the existing properties before it were well, so much I'm, worse. I'm not going to just evaluate va- based on entertainment val. Like, I, I'm, I mean, just like for the industry, I don't necessarily, yeah, can't really, and you know. I, I, I also don't think it's fair for you to say that because a lot of people's favorite Star Wars stuff, you know, the expanded universe novels, video games, the stuff that really oh, means a lot to people, Disney took and took out back and shot in the fucking head right like they well, just so they, they could remake one, it too they but just yeah. like showed up first thing they were like all that that we are done with that that sucks yeah i mean so it's not it hasn't been a well, but they didn't, they didn't get me. rid of the they exist you can still like you can still enjoy those things yeah, they're just they, not making more of it yeah they also, or they're, they're making their own version now well no but the thing is they're also not paying those authors royalties they're also not there's a lot like the amount of people who have lost jobs due to disney buying out LucasArts, Marvel, Fox, like so many people's jobs became redundant and unnecessary. Like there is a definite, definite, like, like hurt, hurt. Like the good Star Wars movies are harder to see and find because of Disney. You know what I mean? Like there is not, no, I did not. there is not a, I, I don't think that like, you know, the benefit has been like, and I, I don't know. I also think that like, one of the Star Wars movies that Disney has made has been at better than like the prequels and the rest of them have been oh, about as bad. No, uh, that's a ridiculous opinion. That's not even worth going too far. That's a wait, troll really? Opinion. Oh, that's yeah. That's a ridiculous opinion? Yeah. That's worse than the only one was better than the prequels. Yeah. That's insane. Last Jedi, that's not even... Revenge of the Skywalker, Revenge of the Skywalker, uh, Rise of the Skywalker is the worst Star Wars movie ever made. That's uh, insane. That's insane. It's not that great. Insane? It's not great, but it's not an hour and a half about trade policy. Like you can't. This is not a realistic. Yeah, but well, see, but that's but that's the thing is when you start comparing things that are yeah. that are both kind of bad in different ways. I think what happens is the prequels start getting points for originality all of a sudden. Yeah, like that's how low we've gotten. No. That it's kind of like Rise well, of, Rise of the Skywalker. Anthony, you've always have been the- you've always been an episode one apologist, and I just don't no, have time Rise or of the Skywalker. <laughs> 
Rise of the Skywalker doesn't have a pod race sequence. You know, we could do this all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, You're just, yeah, we, you could keep listing great now things. This about it. is podcasting. All right, but, let's 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 rein this in. We have other disagreements to get to. I was that just was very it. surprising, like, like a heated Star Wars debate between involving you, Alex. I'm surprised. I yeah. Um, hey man, he's I. Got- He's got fucking Ray tattooed on his chest, apparently. <laughs> I, uh, um, yeah, this is very strange. Uh, now, I, the, I, we, if you want to do an episode one apology tour at some point, you're welcome to do it, but not on my show. We have other things to accomplish. Today, uh, let's get into today's topic. Today, we are talking about the 1991 film Hearts of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse, directed by Eleanor Coppola and starring the people making the movie we watched last week apocalypse now um this is the first non-fiction this is the first uh documentary of slightly condescending film school that's an interesting leap look at us look at us this is all this is part of the universe expanded universe and i love that i love that we're finally (laughs) getting into uh anything that's part of the real expanded universe um boys uh this is something that we talked about uh, that I had never heard of. So it's your idea. Somebody tell me what, uh, I, Hunter, why don't we start with you? Tell me, um, you have experience with us. Tell me why we're watching this. Uh, we're watching it. Cause, uh, it's, it's the, the situation that the, that the people were in making apocalypse now kind of bleeds into apocalypse now to where they get kind of like, I feel like together, they kind of seem like the same thing almost. Um, so I feel like knowing what everybody's going through enhances the movie apocalypse now. And because it's not some made up story, uh, it's real life. It is kind of, I would say a little more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think what I like about this movie, what always kind of makes me come back to it is I find Coppola in this movie specifically, not in general. I'm not about to sign myself off on Coppola as a person but in this movie coppola i find him rather inspiring like Mm -hmm. the stuff he says kind of makes me feel a little bit like making stuff you know what i mean like i love the part towards the beginning where they're just talking about how uh coppola doesn't wait to get someone's permission to start making the movie he just starts making the movie you know what i mean and just kind of throwing the track down as uh as they're going, I guess that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, that, I mean that um, aspect of him, I really like. Yeah, I mean, so much of what Coppola kind of like stands for and what he tried to do in Hollywood, like there is something about like the the people who really fight against the system and what while working within that and like uh, his entire like he has a true philosophy about what he wants to do as an artist. And one of my favorite things about this movie is the way his wife comes off as it's so like incredibly supportive and like believing in that and like what you can accomplish with that. And like, that's something he, he has built a whole like family, like literally family, but also like this metaphorical family of people he works with that all like believe in each other and support each other. And like, you know, he comes from, you know, the Roger Corman school of filmmaking, which, you know, a lot of these directors from this time do. And like, that is like, lie cheat and steal just get it done you know make yeah. a little bit of money go as far as you can um Damn, I, all those things you're talking about i think are pretty interesting to me but i do think we have to balance that with he like did not give a shit if martin sheen lived or died and that's a little well, bit unprofessional no, to me you, that's, that's, that's how you felt about it 
when he is ta- when when Martin Sheen has a heart attack in his thirties, uh, the way he responds to that, which is like, "Don't let this fuck up my movie," is like that was the part where I had I took a hard step well, off of Martin Team Coppola. Sheen didn't want it. He's Martin Sheen is the one who was involved in the cover up of making it look like heat stroke. He didn't that may want be true that he was involved movie. in it, but Martin, right. but but Coppola says to the camera like don't if he like if he dies we're hiding this from the authorities like i don't want this to hurt my yeah. funding this will be bad for my movie he didn't actually mean he was gonna bury his body in the jungle alex it's i mean but everything if you don't mean that puddle. you shouldn't say it to a documentary i, I actually filmmaker. feel like i un- understood that line a little differently i almost felt like what he was saying and again uh, i'm i'm not necessarily defending what he's saying but i'm i'm pretty sure what i understood was uh essentially if he if he dies i'll be the one to tell everybody that he's dead like not like on my schedule so that it doesn't inconvenience me well yeah i mean exactly that that, let me give it a little summary let's go back a step um i yeah this is i don't want this to be testy um but i just have some some concerns um so this is going to be just don't you two this is for everyone at home you don't worry about this five sentence summary you we're, we're going to rebuild a conversation later based on more um, uh, 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 more structure. This is just these are just some opinions that are going to happen in this in the guise of a summary. And then you don't have to think about them. They're not for you. So here is my patented five sentence summary of the film Hearts of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse. Francis Coppola is a plucky little director who just wants to be part of an art collective making meaningful movies. He tried and failed to make a movie about Vietnam in the country of Vietnam during the War of Vietnam, so he waits until after he's incredibly rich from the Godfather movies and makes it in the Philippines. Due to a series of incidents which are almost entirely within his own control, the filming takes five times as long as planned and nearly kills many of the people involved, and more importantly, almost causes him to lose his 22-bedroom mansion in Napa. However, through his sheer power of will, he managed to overcome torrential rain, a government that wants its helicopters back, actors who aren't trying very hard, making major creative (laughs) and financial decisions based on dreams he has, and his own inability to write a coherent ending to a movie about Vietnam, and create a film that we saw last week, Apocalypse Now, and he does this all without ever wearing a shirt in public. This is all filmed by his wife, Eleanor, and the most shocking twist of the movie, I googled it, they're still together. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> and that's the movie. That is uh, Hearts of Darkness from 1991. So let me... Why, wait, why is it shocking that they're still together? I wouldn't want to be with him after yeah, that. Yeah, but did you listen to like her like talk I, at all during the yeah, movie? Yeah, and she no, sounded Alex like she was like someone married. They talk. He's yeah, she was yeah. just like, he just, just like decide good, for good her one. that she should Same. get out of this. <laughs> uh, no, she sounded like someone making apologies for someone who is uh, an alcoholic or is abusive. She sounded like she was being like wow. really accommodating of terrible, terrible behavior. Uh. Um, uh, so, but let me let's okay. So let's let's do a couple things. Let's break it up. Let's do it a little more evenly. Um, so that no one has to feel. Uh, defensive um so first question left not what it sounds like we're going to be talking about so first question a simple one which is the fine not a simple one but a, a different one which is that uh the financing of movies is very mysterious to me and we've danced around this before but can you give me like like a brief summary of how this fucking happens because the fact that yeah the fact that he is putting up money and then constantly putting up more money and like yeah. Anyway, how does the how how do, how does this happen financially? 
How do uh, movies happen? Do you mean specifically this movie, or you just think well, like, like in like general, in but general? also specifically here? Yeah, I guess. Like, I mean, I, I assume that it's it seems like it's different every time. Yes, that's exactly it. And, and but like, like, what's the general structure of it, or what's like if it goes well? What's the easy version, and then what's the hard version? That it's literally like there is literally no none of that. It's just it like there is so there is you know studio films and independent film right and like independent films can be anything like you know the star wars sequels are all independent films right (laughs) okay uh it's weird to think about so that word doesn't mean what i thought it means well no yeah most people so assume independent means small things but independent just means independently financed cloud atlas was an independent film they they found a bunch of millionaires to give them money and they raised a hundred million dollars right the Star Wars sequels from Empire Strikes Back on through the prequels were all George Lucas pitting up his own money to self-finance it, right? Wow. And okay. he, ha- he, has but, a deal- he has a deal with Fox yes, to distribute it. So like that's a whole right. separate thing. Because you have like distribu- distribu- distribution and you have like international, domestic distribution, all different channels. And does Fox not put up any money for that? No. They just, like, split the money as it gets shown? Well, they Fox don't, like, would invest do, in like, marketing. If you're a distributor, you're doing, right. like, marketing, print, and ad. But the idea is, like, George Luke with George Lucas and, like, what Coppola has always tried to do was, if you get money from a studio, you're beholden to a studio. And that means notes. That means people coming in, telling you what you want, what they want to do. And that's how movies get picked apart. And you end up with the kind of bland, homogenous mess that we're in today, where everything right. is studio finance, nothing that show up edges. Everything's a giant nerf movie, and it's soft and not going to hurt anyone's feelings, you know. <laughs> um, but the, then, the, you know, there's also like, you know, like the idea that Star Wars and something like Primer go into the same category of independent right. movie is like silly, but that's just what that means. It's just how are you getting the money? So a studio picture, it's like usually, you know, with like Apocalypse Now, as they kind of talk about, it was like, what, it's United Artist and another studio that were like splitting distribution rights for it. Right. So they each pit up separate amounts of money, but coppola also put up a bunch of his own money for it so wait so they were distributors but they did put up money to make it yes so that is like you can you know it can go like you can get a little bit of money from a studio uh and but if you do that you're beholden to them depending on how much of the budget they're giving right so what coppola always tried to do at least in these days was like again the sort of george lucas model of like being a big successful filmmaker but you know you have to remember like the godfather movies are great but those were like that was a job he took. Like they went and found him because Robert Evans wanted to produce those movies. And then Robert Evans was a fucking nightmare every day on the set, uh, demanding things and really like making it like he had to fight to make the Godfather as good as it was, even though he was getting noted to death and they kept telling him to cut the length and recast this and do that. And he like fought really hard, won all these Oscars and was like, well, I really don't want to go through that again. So that's kind of his like independent drive into independence, where that comes from. Well, it's not even it's it's not it's it's not even as simple as that. It's like him, him and uh, that whole squad, I guess, of seventies filmmakers are trying to make that uh, American zoetrope, yeah. which would be like a you know filmmaker owned studio essentially that could like finance projects for people, but not 
you know, without having to deal with essentially suits or studio executives. So they would, if that had worked, they would then have their own pile of money, presumably yeah. from other investors who I mean, they, agreed they, to give money without getting any creative say. Yeah. So they and did eventually they give get the money, money together to to do it. And it's just that the first movie that they did, uh, what is it called? One from the Heart? Yeah. Uh, it just flopped so hard that then it, it didn't work. So then the studio right. didn't exist anymore. Uh, yeah. So, so... Um, Okay, wait. That's that was was that uh, was that the next thing he did after this? Maybe We're very close oh, to this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Because yeah, somebody mentioned that in um in on Twitter, which I'm going to bring back up in a bit. Um. Okay, but so basically, what it is is you need a pile of money, and you can take it from a million different varieties of people, and they each would get a a negotiable amount of creative control. So some people who have money would get to sit in the room and tell you how to make your movie. And some people who give you money don't get to be part of it at all. Well, I mean, the thing is, if you if a studio is giving you money, right, they own everything. That's why, like, the George Lucas, like, the, like, y- y- the famous deal with Star Wars is, like, Fox didn't believe in it. So George Lucas, like, they ended up investing in the first one, and he ended up convincing them to, like, well, let me own the rights to this, right? And then that's why after it became this huge success, he was able to finance the sequels by himself. And like, that will never happen again. No studio will ever sign that stuff again. So like, the thing is, it's not just if you take a studio's money, it's not just that someone's going to sit in the room and like tell you stuff, right? Like that's going to, that's like the least of what's going to happen. The most is going to happen is they're just going to fire you or they're going to right. lock you out of the editing room or they're right. going to like, there were so many stories of like big directors on movies and like they show up to set one day and they've already been filming for five hours because the uh, producer from the studio showed up and just started telling everyone what to do. Right. Like you're not just beholden to like some notes. They own the entire product. They can fire you at any point. They can recut your movie if you don't have like final cut in your contract. So like, that's what happens. a lot. Right. So like, all of this is also dependent on contract. So you could do a movie with a studio and theoretically negotiate a contract where they can't lock you out or fire you without you getting something. Yeah, or I mean, like, you have to be like yeah. a legend, like Scorsese gets like final cut, like Tarantino gets final cut, but like most directors right. and people who are like successful, like now and upcoming, they're still not, not going to get that it's the reason why like why movie studios nowadays love to do the thing when it's like hey you made a twenty thousand dollar film that was kind of successful let's give you a 200 million dollar blockbuster and that's just so they can they get someone uh it gives them like a bit of like film press buzz but also allows someone to just to push them around you know you look at like uh talking about like star wars like rogue one and you look at, like, Rogue One and you look at, like, Solo, right? Like, Robert Evans, or Ed, not Evans, Robert, Ed, Gareth Edwards, whatever his name is, the director <laughs> of... Uh, Rogue One, usually, yeah. Rogue usually one, you get at least but, one of the words yeah. right, but that one might I, have been over I two. forget what his name is, but he, the director of that, like, he got fired most of the way through production and was told you can either be a good boy and, like, pretend you still directed this and, like, do the press... Uh, but we're actually going to bring in the guy who did Michael Clayton uh, to come in, reshoot your whole movie, re-edit it, and then your name will be on it. Or like you look at like the Lord and Miller on Solo when they were given that same deal. They was like, okay, you can play nice, 
and say you directed this, but in reality, we're bringing Ron Howard in. He's going to reshoot your entire movie. Uh, he's going to edit it, and then we'll put your name on it. And they said, like, no, we don't want to do that. So they straight up quit, right? So, like, the, like right. that's the kind of situation you get in with, like, major studio and studio financing. It's like... So, in this case, um, United Artists had some say, like, he was afraid of them that they might pull the plug, but also they didn't they couldn't fire him uh, Coppola from this movie and say, we're going to actually finish this. Yeah. Because no, I don't think had, so. Because I think he had so much of his own finances put right. into it. And I also think that there's certain like, you know, they say like never invest with your own money in movies. And like a lot of filmmakers aren't uh, like scared to do that. But I do think that like, it is a very risky proposition, but certain people I feel like need conflict to thrive in. Like I think, <laughs> I think since M Night Shyamalan started financing his own movies, they've gotten markedly better, right? Mm. Like Glass and Split were both entirely self-financed, uh, and it's like because he's not messing around with the, a bunch of Disney's money, where he doesn't give a fuck if the movie turns out good or not. But when it's like his own money, and he's like, "I'm gonna lose my fucking house if this doesn't turn out well," you get better movies out of. <laughs> um, yeah i mean i'm not sure it's a good way to live like if i was your therapist but maybe it does like put you in a meat grinder that create makes you create interesting art um so in this case one of the things that's happening in this movie is that um he's like Coppola's just like changing everything all the time um like he's sitting in his houseboat rewriting scenes and giving people pages that day for their I mean, scenes that's he's like, like- big movie that almost any big movie yeah that's not that's not that abnormal this is my well that was my question was like is having the director like have a weird dream and then rewrite the rest of the movie overnight and give you new pages how how rare is that how weird is that it probably happens all the time on basically any movie you like something like that happens right like i think that i mean if you have a writer director it most certainly would be happening yeah yeah like I, i like what I really like about Coppola is like kind of what I talked about last week of like this. He's such an interesting convergence of like populist uh, blockbuster dramatic filmmaking and like old school weirdo, you know, and like the way that like you, you see a lot of that during this production. I do like, I think it's like crazy to make a movie and not have an ending and be like, was going to film everything and like find the ending once I have everything else shot. And I do think like that, that is like an interesting way to make a movie. And like, it's certainly a process that like is risky, but it's like, it is also opens you up for like creativity and like unique things that, and the possibility uh, but, for the ending to seem kind of weird. Yeah, but I mean, again, that happens with most movies. Like, a lot of movies start without an ending. Or, like, I mean, they're, you know, talking about John Favreau, you know, like, Iron Man famously didn't have a script at all when they started filming. They were just filming out, huh. like, they just had, like, a rough idea, and they just wrote it every day on the set. Um, so this seems like something that would happen. So does it wait? Does this happen more or less often with studios versus with like self-funded more. or weird? Way funded? way more with studios. It's all studios. I mean, that's like you know, like the famous thing with studios is like you know they hire a writer to write something. They say we love it. This is great. We're gonna bring on someone else to rewrite it. Right. Right. And then they fire that guy. Then they bring on someone else. And it's just like you're getting all these different scripts, and then you have like. 
you know, different things that happen, either like sets or production timelines get messed up. So you have to like change stuff on the fly. But yeah, it's certainly because like the reason why that happens is because on big studio movie making, it's not like a small independent project. It's like, well, we're going to put all this passion in it and try to get it done. Uh, and then hopefully find someone to buy it and distribute it the way big theatrical studio releases go is this movie is coming out December 21st, 2021 right. before you have anything else done. So like that is, you have this date, so you just have to get moving, you know, and that's how you end up with movies that don't have finished screenplays or final acts or anything like that is because when you're, you know, when you have this giant machine that is a hundred million dollars print and, you know, add, well, uh, I want to I, I want to add something here. Yeah, like it's in my opinion, you can even tell just from the documentary. It's not that the movie didn't have an ending when they started. Like there was this completed script. That's the whole reason they started making this movie. It's just that John Milius's ending, which he reads in the movie. Yeah. Sucks. Like sucks. and honestly, yeah. him in general, he just kind of seemed like he kind of yeah. sucked. In some I feel like John Milius sucked. I'm glad yeah. I'm glad that that's not no, that's, a weird opinion. That's a fact. Everyone knows John Milius. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, dude, there was I mean, the time when, when he, he, he pops like, back in. He's, he's talking like, about what is he talking about where he just all of a sudden has to compare himself to a Nazi talking yeah, to yeah, Hitler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly like, dude, why are like, you, why is that he, where you're going with this? His first thought for an inspirational meeting was the guy who Hitler changed his mind about how to fight a war. <laughs> yeah. It was like, that's your best one. I feel like maybe you're the reason why dude, parts he, of this movie he is feel absolutely racist. a guy to me that would be wanting to, to adapt Heart of Darkness with no awareness of the problematic elements of the story. Like, yeah, to I, me, yeah. even the way he was talking about it, like, 100%, which is why it makes so much sense that Coppola would be like, this movie doesn't really have an ending and we have to come up with one because he reads it and it totally blows. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. It does I, blow. I said as much on the podcast. Like, I had forgotten this from the movie, but I said on the podcast last week that there is a probably a very clear line in the stuff that was like interesting and like thought provoking in this movie. That is like clearly what Coppola brought to it. And there's a lot of problematic underlining stuff that I guarantee you was in John's original script. And that's exactly what this documentary reveals, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do think that it's like, again, kind of goes into like, also, you know, 70s film production and like the auteur Hollywood Brat Pack movement uh, really bred a lot of sort of uh, bad things like most kind of Otis driven sort of movements can if they, they're gone, gone completely unchecked. Um, so that's kind of where I think a lot of the sort of questionable stuff about the, the production of this movie comes from is that like, if, if you think this stuff is bad, you should see what, like, William Freakin was doing on the set of, you know, The Exorcist around this time, you know? Like, there's just a lot of weird stuff that came out from this this point in the system, you know? Yeah. I mean, this is... Yeah, I mean, this, this is one... This is my my big question about a lot of the behavior is, is this cool or is this unprofessional? Because there are certain things where it feels like, especially since part of the theme of the documentary is that this is like, it took 250 days instead of 50 days to film this movie. And sometimes it's like, well, there was a huge rainstorm and that doesn't seem like it's your fault. Although maybe you could have known that there's always 
torrential rainstorms here and seasonally made some decisions based on that but also like and also like oh that the government took their helicopters back but then like it was really cool when you told me you got all the helicopters for free by being nice to the president who's or the dictator of this country but now when they want them back free or well he he was like anyway it was cool when he said how he got all the helicopters from the government but then when they wanted him back he was like mad about it but like if you well of course he would be mad about it he's trying to make a movie yeah, well, I understand that, but what I'm saying is like when you when it's like when it's cool and rebellious that you didn't go through the normal helicopter rental place where you'd have a contract and have plans for well, when you could dude, use them. I mean, why would why would the why I just feel like this is such a weird point to take because it's like he was trying to make a movie that the American military would doesn't didn't want him to make. Like when they saw the script, they were like, You got no, this is there's so many things that are gonna have to change about this in order for us to give you any equipment. So that was kind of his only choice because he was making a movie. Yeah. That, that, that the American government didn't, did not want, they did not want him to make this movie. I guess I'm not being clear on my point. My, I guess what I'm saying is like, there are things that feel cool and rebellious, but that also seem like they caused the movie to take way longer. And is that awesome? Or is that a person who, if they were behaving more professionally could have finished this movie faster? Well, I don't know. I mean, I feel like this. You're, what you're kind of asking is like this is like the what the whole movie is about, and uh, to I, it's definitely not awesome. I mean, I for <laughs> sure the movie is trying to show you that this was uh, a hell for these people, like that this yes. was not a good time. Uh, I'm sure there's like a million things that Francis would not do again. In fact, I mean. Really, if you look at his work after this, he never, ever, ever goes anywhere near doing anything like this ever again. So in that way, I would say definitely for him, not so cool. Yeah. And also there is that like, you know, a big part of what makes this such an engaging documentary, besides the fact that it's, you know, like it's it's like watching for for me. And there's a lot of things I kind of get out of this to kind of ask what Alex started saying earlier in the show or like why are you watching this? Like one, it's like, Alex, you asked the question last week, why does this movie look like nothing else? And like this documentary, I think really helps capture the sort of love and care and just the scale of what they're doing. And this does feel like watching someone build like a great monument somewhere, like a great architectural. Yeah, literally. Thing, Cause the know? workers only work for a dollar a day. Uh, so you could build a huge monument. And like, yeah, that was funny that that even made it into the documentary because the way the guy says it, it's almost like it's dawning on him what he's yes. saying. Yeah, the after he finishes, he's like, I hope we weren't taking advantage of it. Anyway, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, literally it making like a giant if you bought, like a new pair of Nikes and they showed up and they were like, I hope children didn't make these and then just like put them on your feet. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's also like there's something about like the one-offness. Like, like uh so we've talked about like this genre documentary is one of my favorites. Uh, the making the documentaries about making of movies that are like really interesting or really disastrous um, because you get this sense of like one, the fact that any movie is good ever is mind blowing. If you watch it. Yeah, that's the thing we've been coming back to this season and I every I can't uh, I could not agree with that more. It is insane that this is how this industry works and it's a miracle every time something is good but yeah stuff like this uh lost in la mancha which is the documentary about the yes. making of terry gilliam's uh, don quixote lost soul yes. which is the documentary about 
uh, the island of Dr. Monroe, which had an even worse Merlin Brando experience. That's the one yeah. where, yeah, yeah, um, okay, yeah, yeah. But so there's a lot of movies of this, and like what I, the thing that just blows my mind about Apocalypse Now is because you can imagine like something like Lost Souls being like, okay, that's just like a pretty normal bad film shoot that went disastrous. But Apocalypse Now, it's like, can you imagine what would happen in the media if Chris Nolan? took a bunch of people into the Philippines for 300 days. Like, the way the media would react and press blogs would cover it, and it would be such, like, like it would be such a thing that people would just... It would be unacceptable. Even someone, like, that powerful who can do basically whatever he wants, um, like, could not do this. Like, this is, like, impossible to replicate. You know, this is such a one-off experience, one-off perfect storm of, like the Hollywood brat pack, this man with a vision, this like this point of like the studio system really taking big swings and allowing stuff like this to happen. And like that to me is like what, why I'm so glad this documentary exists. And and, like the way that this documentary like is a great companion piece with the film, because I think Mm. the themes in the film are really interesting, but this documentary has the same exact themes about like what does it mean to like go off the reservation essentially like what does it mean to go on a trip that like you're never going to be the same from what does like these kind of productions and like film a lot can be like war and can be you know really dangerous and exciting and all this stuff and like what that toll takes on people and i think like that is where so much of this like comes through in a way that is like really really like touching and moving and like i don't know i i I agree with hunter where i find francis to be such like an inspiring figure in this in terms of just like this like yeah he you could do stuff differently you would never get away with some of this stuff now but the idea of like fighting to make something truly great that will like outlive all of us and be there you know a hundred years from now like there's a lot of work and it's really tough to do that and being able to like be super flexible on a set either by being willing or i have no fucking other choice my actor showed up 80 pounds overweight uh the way like the happy accidents can happen on film to create really powerful imagery um and this is like it's the stuff like that that I find so um, inspiring about this movie uh, about House of Darkness, while also being like, yeah, it's depressing and crazy and like hilarious and tragic, uh, but like the a man with a vision uh, and like an Otis truly having like and having people who have your back and believe in you and will fight with you to accomplish this goal. It's it's like I said, I just genuinely find yeah, it inspiring. I, yeah. Yeah, I there are parts that I think are really interesting in that direction, and there are parts of it where I'm not as convinced that that's what's happening. And like, I, I mean, he, like, I feel like having vision is like such an interesting phrase for it when he changes his mind every day. That that doesn't feel like he has a clear vision for what this is. He's like, especially the dream thing, just really pisses me off. If my boss. Is like, man, I had a dream. <laughs> Your character's different now. I feel like I don't feel like I want to work for that kind of a person. That doesn't feel like a, a an artist who has well, vision. Alex, it feels like I, even I, a I, giant baby who has too much I, money. Alex, I, 
I assure you, Francis Ford Coppola would not want to work with you either. So I, 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 I just the, the other thing I demand if I just want my boss to wear a shirt most of the time. That's my one of my creative it's, rules. I can't work under the conditions of his nipple, and he'll like he would rub. He'd be rubbing his his grabbing his breasts while he was talking to the camera in a way that I found very un, disconcerting. I, so that would not work for me as a boss either. I just love that. Like, there's a lot of people in this documentary that are worth like. Uh, really kind of criticizing and going hold on and like you choose Francis as the person to like really it's just a movie about him. I don't know. Yeah, I mean but... the, the other artist sucked. <laughs> but it's I feel like, like you should the... examine him and his movie. And it's specifically it's a movie about how great he is. So I feel like it by his wife. So it I feels don't like... think that it is a movie about how great he is. I would I, not yeah, I don't, say yeah, that I don't that is that the takeaway. Yeah, I mean, that a might movie be the called Hearts of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse. Yeah, I feel like that is I that to me reads as incredibly complimentary to him. So what? That, yeah, that feels like like and the, I mean, you, well, you can hear it from the way she talks to him all the time. You don't you, you the way she was saying it. You, you think that she would then go back and make a movie. It's like, man, what what a crazy dude. This felt like it was a movie about a guy. The, the documentary was a movie about a guy overcoming all of these difficulties with his pure genius, and that wasn't how I, I thought I, the I, actual I, act play were playing out. I would agree that that the movie is a. I mean, obviously, if you like the movie Apocalypse Now, he did overcome these obstacles, but I don't. I don't believe that the movie paints it like he overcame these because he is such a genius. I mean, there's literally well, like a picture of him pointing a gun at his head. He's like losing his mind. Yeah, also, like he, that is what the movie is trying to depict is yeah. like, I mean, the, it did, but he wasn't, was, was he really losing his mind? He just seemed like a guy who was stressed out from work. He was just like, guy was working a lot and he was like, man, I'm stressed out from all this work I'm doing. But like, but I feel like that the whole idea of insanity is like is still buying into this hearts of darkness. The jungle is a place that drives men crazy, that the savagery inside men who are primitive, like it's still based on that fundamental racism of the book that the movie was based on, that this is then using as its as also source material for the way it arcs this movie. It's like so weird that that's like. I, I, that that's uncritically examined. That's I, I, he, I, I, and the movie's in 1991, so by then she should have known better. Well, first off, she didn't make <laughs> this, she didn't make this movie. Okay, she filmed it, and there are recordings from her diary entries. But different filmmakers compiled and edited this movie. This was just all. Oh yeah, weren't they like students? Yeah, like she. Oh, they definitely had it over. Like they were, you know, had a hand in this. But like, I don't think she had much to do with the production of this movie. Right, they filmed interviews later, and she just gave filmmakers all this footage, and they oh, okay. edited it. So, well, she just said in the movie, "I'm making this movie," so I believed it. Well, yeah, she's she directed, she shot all the footage in the movie. Yeah, Everything yeah, yeah. There's two other people credited as directors. Yeah. Um, one and, of whom is named Fax, which is hilarious, and uh, has never done anything else. This is Fax's one movie. Yeah, it's a good one to go out on. I mean, what what more do you need? He oh no, wait, that's not true. He did. He wrote Bad Grandpa Five. Weird. Or point five. Bad Grandpa Point Five. Yeah, I was about to say. I don't think there are five Bad Grandpa movies. No, it's no. Bad Grandpa Point Five. They got him on the books of like uh, two through five. He's doing the whole series. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh no, he wrote Bad Grandpa too. Yeah. So anyway, the guy, he he wrote Bad Grandpa and he directed Hearts of Darkness, and that's his career. So his I. I, I have a kind of hypothetical question. Yeah. So if if Francis Ford Coppola is, or I, what? I guess how 
Alex, if you had gone to uh, not Vietnam, where were they? The Philippines? The Philippines, yeah. To make this movie. And you wouldn't have pr- probably done that in the first place anyways because your feelings on the book. But let's just say that you did. Well, at the, well yeah, let's say I didn't know it at the time and I would take any acting job probably. But then, but I might quit when the boss was unprofessional to that degree. No, I'm saying put yourself in Francis's shoes and be oh, okay. Where it's be like him? My, my, how well, how would, would you have navigated this in uh, in 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 a better way? Where you would have come off? I don't. I'm, it's just like such a crazy situation to me that it feels like hard to judge to the extent that you are judging. I, yeah, I'm you not get sure what that, I mean. I don't understand. No, I don't understand why that is. I just feel like the events depicted in the movie are like to me make him not a very sympathetic character. But the framing of the movie feels like it's trying to tell me that he is. And so I feel like like each of the scenes of him like being a genius could very easily be set up by. Okay, well, Max let's get specific. Is there a scene you can cite where it's like, here's him being a genius? Like, do you yeah, remember yeah, where he's like, I had a dream. I'm changing your scene right now. And I feel like it, like if I was setting this up, I would be like, one of the reasons this took 250 days would be that every morning he would wake up and based on his midnight thoughts, tell you to redo everything or like, it's the interesting, end of the... but then it's interesting that you say every morning because that's not, like it happens, th- there's it happens this- multiple times, but like in other or like the 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 scene with the French people where they finish filming and he yells at all of them that they're bad and they're not, he's not going to use any of that footage. Like I feel like one way you'd frame that is like as a professional, he should have thanked everybody for their very hard work and made the decision about editing it later instead of telling them their face that their time is not worthwhile. He doesn't do that. He, the, he does. He, he says, he's like, this is all garbage. This. I hate, this I hate all of it. Yeah. None of this is being used. Go away. No, he is re- being in a recorded later that day talking about it. He's not saying it to the actor's face. The story he's was that he, he said that he told them right there. He said that he said right there on the set that he wasn't going to use it. Yeah, that that's, that, but, but that's that's also what it shows. It shows he he says something along the lines of "Let's just forget we ever shot this." Yeah, and I like that would be one where if I was like if I was the one editing the movie, I'd be like, "Wow, that's a but harsh saying, like, well, thing to but, say to a bunch of people who just worked really hard." I would have like, though, you know. like uh, I mean, what what I just said. Let's just forget we ever shot this. Like, yeah, I mean, like I just feel like if you're gonna tone police, we have to be really specific about what it is that he said to these people. Well, I don't feel like tone police is a fair description of what I'm doing. I, I mean, yeah. I, it is a little bit. I mean, no, I feel like this is like I, I think deciding whether a character was empathetic for you is like a very reasonable way to watch movies and have a discussion. About okay, it. okay, yes, yes. The, but that's so almost like a separate like, issue. If we're talking about this specific incident and we're not being very specific about what it is that I, he is saying to these people. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I think it's very clear that it's not the tone. It's that he, that he is telling people that who just spent this incredible amount of work that it was not good and that he is not going to talk to them ever again. Well, and that felt rough. Again, and instead that, it was like, what a great like, genius that he knew the light was wrong. But I, I just think that, like, I don't know. I think that there's like actual things to be like bothered by and a. Like, well, I would love. I you said that twice, but, so let me let's do that. Tell me what else we should be bothered by, because that well, might I be mean, easier. To me, the stuff that is like actually interesting about this type of conversation is like Brando's professionalism and like him as a actor and like what he is like 
legacy went on to do. Like, I do think that there's a difference between someone like Coppola who has looked at like, has all these actors who are willing to come back and work with him over and over again. The same crew is willing to come back and work with him over and over again. I think that like when a filmmaker is like stressed out and you maybe like as a person lash out on a set, there's a difference between doing that and like going like full Christian Bell into on the Terminator set. Right. Like there's a difference between like people, things get hot, things get tense. And like, I'm not going to hold that against somebody you know, 180 days into filmmaking and swelting. No, but that was my point was not to hold it against people, but not that also doesn't say that this is a man going crazy, which was the structure of the movie based on the racist structure of this book. I don't again. It wasn't going crazy. He was being like, so if, if your point is that he was not being rude, then he also wasn't going crazy. And if your point was, he's being very rude because he was stressed out, then that like, then that's based on the structure of this racist book. Like either way, you're saying what I'm saying. No, I'm not. And I don't think that like the the structure of the book is like the thematic elements of the what make Apocalypse Now work is reflected well in this story. I don't think that has anything to do with like deep seated race. But anyway, that's not that's not important. Can we I, talk about like well, it's time to it's time to actually bring this back in because we've gotten too far afield. So we have time for just a couple more quick thoughts on uh this movie before we wrap up. So Let's spend that wisely. So let's talk about Brando, because I do believe that although mostly this movie makes Brando look like a dickhead, he also is by far the funniest part of this movie. I think him swallowing a bug as part of the fun Marlon Brando outtakes montage was the most fun I had. I wish there was more of that. I love love what he just quits at the end of that one. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of it. I mean, it is like a real professional. That is an actor who hasn't learned lines in 15 years. (laughs) The thing like the fact that he's like conscious in his head that like, I don't actually need to say anything because you can just redub lines over me looking away <laughs> anyway. I just need to give you the shot of me standing here, right? I don't need to like actually say anything because like this script, I'm just improvising it anyway. But like how much of Brando is like this what's so crazy about this area of Brando to me is that this is like so tame compared to what he famously did later on sets. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's it's it's in a it's you can see the direction it's going. Oh, I mean the fact that like, have you ever seen the photos from the set of The Godfather, which he also refused to learn his lines for? Um, no. So there's like there's this great shot of when they're all in the Don's office, and it's like Robert Duvall and Al Pacino and a bunch of people are there, and they're all backs are facing the camera, and when they turn around, you see that they all have cue codes taped to their chest uh, <laughs> so that's how he they would get man Merlin to say his lines and like he is this actor who is has such an interesting legacy between like he you know he didn't invent modern acting but like he was one of like the main three actors that brought over like method acting and like popularized that in Hollywood like he literally changed the way people act in movies him and um, the people of this film. Wait, but I, so if he's it, this feels un his behavior in this movie feels the most unmethod of anything 
that I've ever oh, seen. Yeah, where... he stopped caring. He just he... okay. Yeah, yeah. That's and what it's... I was wondering. Is like he's known for being a method actor, and the way he did is he showed up not having yeah. thought about this at all. Well, and his thing was like, I'm such a good actor that I can really, I can literally read the lines off a of cue code and give you a performance like he does in The Godfather. Right? Like he was just so cocky <laughs> at this point and so late. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like, have you seen? There's this clip that goes around every few years of Christopher Reeves on Letterman being asked about what it's like to work with Merlin Brando. Um, no, it's great. Uh, it's so it's so like insightful and like interesting. But like Letterman well, asked the- Christopher Reeves, who played Superman, okay. uh, and Merlin Brando has you know like a very small role in Superman, got but got paid like five million dollars or some absurd amount yeah. of money for it. Um, but Letterman's like, so you got to work with Brando. That must have been exciting as a young actor. And Christopher Reeves was just like, no, it wasn't. Uh, (laughs) he's like, no offense to Brando. He's a great actor. You know, he's one of the best. But like, when you have a set of really, especially a lot of young actors who look up to you and are very excited and trying really hard, and you come in and you're completely disrespectful to everyone and disrespectful to the craft and the movie we're all working on, it just makes us feel bad. And he just yeah. gives this very eloquent speech about how insulting he thought working with Merlin Brando was. I and mean, like, I that felt that in this movie for sure. And it's, like, it's that, very insulting. That is just like so much of like what he did. Like, I mean, so like we I mentioned a little bit of Lost Souls, the documentary about the island of Doctor Monroe, but that was like that's the one when like you would come to set with an ice bucket on his head and be like, right. my character wears an ice bucket now. Uh, or like have you really supports als charities his last movie um the score the frank oz movie with robert de niro and ed norton was his last movie he ever did there's a lot of great stories about that but like it was directed by frank oz who i guess brando was like didn't know much about he knew he he had directed some other movies and was like kind of nice to him on the set and then a few days in the filming he found out that Frank Oz was the voice of Miss Piggy and completely <laughs> lost all respect and stopped listening to him. And when wow. they refer to Frank Oz as Miss Piggy in front of him, <laughs> uh, and would like just refuse to listen to Frank, would just walk away whenever he would talk. He would like that is very strange. He would so like the way Frank Oz had to direct him was he he would go to Brand, uh, Robin uh, De Niro. And he'd be like, hey, I need you to go to Merlin and tell him to do this. And then what, what happened was Robert would go over to Merlin Brando and go, uh, so Frank wants <laughs> you to do it this way, but I think you should do it this way. <laughs> and then he would tell him what Frank told him, and, Brand- and Brando would be like, that's good, I'm going to do that. Jesus Christ. Uh, but that's what he was like every day. I can't wait. I mean, I just as soon as you said that, I added this um, to my list, so I'm definitely going to watch this movie. Uh, but yeah, it's just like he got so so, and you know, like, you know, like people talk about like, you know, the way Johnny Depp doesn't learn his lines and has an earpiece uh, and he has a somebody he does. Yeah. So that's the thing. A he lot did of that on the, the last Pirates movie. Yeah. Had an no, earpiece the for the last whole movie. Pirates movie. It's really a shame because the dialogue sparkles. Yeah. Really so, pops. But Brando yeah. like popularized that he was doing that in the 80s and 90s. He would refused to learn lines he have a radio piece he would have someone in a trailer reading uh the script over walkie-talkie and it's like there's a lot of great really funny stories about like on the island of dr monroe because they they didn't have like exclusive channels 
his, the radio channel would constantly pick up like, <laughs> police radio stuff. So he would be like saying his lines, and then just in the middle, be like, "There's a fire on the 201." And with emergency agents responding, like not even realizing it was a different voice, he would just yeah. whatever people would talk to. It's just, it's so insane. I here's here's what I want. I just want to be, uh, I want to be well enough respected that I could treat people like this and treat the acting, which is by and large the easiest job in the world that to take that and treat it this badly and do put this much little effort into it. And then I wouldn't, I would still try hard, but I would like to be at a place where people would put up with me if I was a giant baby, uh, but I would not be. Yeah. And like the sad thing is he got paid millions of dollars. So many millions. And and like in this one, he was willing to, he was phoning it in and he was also willing to just take Francis Ford Coppola's personal million dollars and walk away because he didn't want to change his flights. Yeah. Um, Uh, Yeah. But yeah, just stuff stuff like that is so frustrating to me to watch. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's awful. And then especially because it does make the end of this movie much worse. And like, I'm not convinced that the writing of it, that I think Coppola probably could go a few more drafts and he might find an ending that would make more sense. But uh, I'm not crazy about the ending of this one either. But Marlon's performance is incredibly distracting and weird. I mean, it I is like when he's talking about like, I'll get Nicholson, I'll get Pacino. Like, I, I just imagine like if he had had like Nicholson there at this point in his life and they yeah. really worked out an ending. Right. Yeah. Like, what? The movie would have been better. Like I, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. enjoyed the ending. If we could have seen Kurtz's body, yeah, I think um, the movie would have been better. Like those weird limitations. Um, if 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 you were allowed to have him in the same room as Dennis Hopper, like that would have been interesting for them. But just, <laughs> yeah, um, Hunter. Um, in closing, for this, any anything that we're missing that you want to mention about? Uh, about Hearts of Darkness, a filmmaker spotlight. Um, I think it's funny like, talking about Marlon Brando. Always makes me think of Orson Welles, uh, mm-hmm. just because Orson Welles had a very similar trajectory of eventually just being like, "I don't care," and just like kind of ruining stuff, and also um, had a, a deep voice. Yeah, I mean, but, what are you gonna do? Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's just some. I don't know. It's almost like a. It's like a tradition now for. Uh, certain actors to get to such a level that they still get paid like crazy amounts of money and then are just kind of like like i don't even understand how it works like how can someone like get hired on new stuff based off their legacy if they're not even like necessarily turning in good performances i mean bart brando is still at a point where uh he's considered dependable for a good performance at this point but i mean that eventually does well, go at out some the point presumably the the like it doesn't matter that much how good the performance is because the name on the poster will sell enough tickets to make your investment back Yeah. that by the time people realize they've been tricked by a bad Brando, they can't get their money back. And so you can be like, we're going to be the production company that's going to burn down Brando by using his name and then bait and switch you. And then the movie's not that good when he's on screen. And then the next person has to decide, is he still bankable enough that I can sell tickets on his name, even though he's like reading from an earpiece and has, and has a bucket on his head. Yeah. That is the thing with like, you know, that doesn't really exist anymore. I mean, Johnny Depp, you know, got there because he was for a while, like the last of the stars that like, if you pit Johnny Depp and Alice in Wonderland and it will make a billion dollars, you know, like that, like post pirates, 
you know, like Johnny Depp was like, he's, it's such an interesting career because he spends the whole first half of his career trying to be this artsy guy who makes small movies. Then he decides to cash this one big paycheck. And then that's all he does for the rest of his career, right? He doesn't take small, interesting roles anymore. He is just Captain Jack Sparrow and the Mad Hatter and, yeah, you no, know, was Grindelwald till he just got fired. Um, yeah, thank God he finally got fired though. It took forever. Yeah, yeah. actually. Well, now, well, now we're gonna get pro get get. Uh, now we're gonna get brigaded. Um, we're gonna get brigaded. Why? If you you can't say anything bad about Johnny Depp, people the internet will kill you. Oh, is that controversial to say? Well, oh, super it's, controversial. People well, are, really? No, I mean yeah, I, yeah. that did not um, occur to me as like a two sides thing. I felt well, like no, that one was kind of so, clear cut. No, that, oh, it is. That, oh, it is. No, that's. Uh, <laughs> That's the thing is like if you want to get into it, it's like, um, uh, so it was pretty clear sighted until a lot of stuff that came out that Amber Heard like actually was the one who was very violent and like almost cut off his finger hmm. and like there's audio recordings of their like, um, like long audio recordings when she talks about how like you know you never hit me when I'm hitting you and I'm constantly chasing you around throwing you stuff. And you just go away. I'm sorry that I get so angry. I almost cut off your finger with a bottle. Uh, oh, like this Amber yeah. Heard. Ha- there's a lot. Okay, of- sounds really- messy. Yeah, it's a very it messy is- thing. And like it is, and the internet has ta- like a, a, a significant portion of the internet has taken his side so hard that they will destroy you. Um, and that's that's something that the Warner Brothers has been dealing with with Grindelwald. It's something that Animaniacs is dealing with because in the background of one of the songs, there's a poster of Johnny Depp that says Lying Depp or something like that. And that's enough or Deceitful mm. Depp. And then they're like, we have to ruin this show for people. Like, it's very, uh, we have to destroy this show. Yeah. It's very strange. It's um, a little from a place of, of ignorance, not even knowing the full situation, even with what you've just told me, I still think that like, if, if I don't know, like if somebody's in a, in a weird situation like that, it's weird to have them on this thing for children, you know, yeah. like, I mean, I think even, just in general, he's a sad, lonely man who only hangs out with people he pays. Right. Like I think <laughs> that, that alone is enough to be like, a, yeah, that's, pretty, he, he has only friends or his staff and he just, he also hasn't made that. He hasn't made that new Harry Potter series work. So, well, I mean, to me, it's, they they got rid of Colin Farrell for Johnny Depp in the first one, which is the biggest downgrade you can possibly. Yeah, that is uh, super dumb. Because Colin was the only good thing about that first movie, but they they both sucked. All right. So anyway, sorry. I wanted I, yeah. just real quick before because I I wanted to close up and say this. Um, I I think this era of film is really interesting. Um, I think I think that um, you know, we're talking about kind of young younger people uh doing something kind of unwise but i think their goal uh was uh really um i don't necessarily want to say noble i don't want to elevate it to that extent but the idea of like trying to get outside of the studio system uh is something i can really uh relate with and it is sad that in the end coppola did fail to do that and i think in a way you can kind of see that manifesting in the production of this movie. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's the way I kind of look at it is like, there's a lot of um, like, like emotional aspect to it that I, that I am really into and, and what 
the people are going for, I find really inspiring. Um, but the reality of it is, uh, is not great. Like, and it doesn't turn out well for a lot of people, even if over, even if you think this movie came out great, um, I don't think that the people involved would have, would have said that the cost of it made it a hundred percent worth it. And you can tell even just like, even if Coppola were to say like, no, it was, I loved spending 258 days in the jungle uh, (laughs) and making this movie this way. He, his behavior afterwards betrays the fact that that is not how he feels. Um, So I think, I, I think it's a great movie to see like just that, that this is uh, something that happened, especially considering that it, I mean, it's, you know, nobody's ever going to let it happen again. And then also, like, we live in a world now where, yeah, maybe it's not a bunch of kids doing a bunch of really unwise stuff uh, in the Philippines. Now it's more like studios going to New Zealand and, like, ripping off um, all of the, you know, crafts people that work right. there. Um, and then when when those people complain about it, you're like, oh, well, I'm going to go to Ireland. Like, that's... the 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 new system is not is not better than even kids running around in the jungle, maybe going to get themselves killed. Right. Um, all right. So actually that's a, a, a fair place to transition to the last, last order of business. We're going to take a dip into the mailbag and we're going to play, we're going to experience a meat buddy infrequently asked question. We're going to do both of those things in just a second. All right, so first, a tweet that I want to read to you from at NA Slacker on Twitter, who uh, weighed in when we mentioned they were watching this movie as well as the other one. And uh, they pointed out that they had actually seen this before they saw Apocalypse Now, which is a very interesting direction to watch them. But it is what I'm planning to do with that island movie you just told me about. So I'm going to watch that not having seen the movie because I yeah. care more about the oh, making of it. That's fair. That's you probably far ever- more common. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't. No, the well in the launch one, that movie never stuff. happened, right? I can just watch that and not have to. There's well, no it, movie to watch. It did actually happen uh, oh. last year. Uh, oh, he remade. He tried to get it made like three times between the documentary and now, and he ended up making it with Adam Driver in oh. like the Johnny Depp role, and it wasn't mm. very good. I don't think it ever got um, an American release because you know, like Terry Gilliam is a piece of shit and kind of cursed. Um, but the, the people who financed kind of going back to film financing, the people yeah. who financed, uh, his movie have refused to release it, uh, out of spite. So oh. there is like a finished film starring Adam driver that played at a few festivals. And then the, uh, the producers, uh, just refused to let Terry Gilliam release it. That is very interesting as well. Um, yeah, uh, and Adam Driver, pretty well known right now. So it seems like you might have some success with that. Um, so anyway, um, I, oh, I've, I've decided to reread how this um, this name. I thought it was N A Slacker, but it could be Nas Lacker. So that's possible. Uh, maybe this person has no Nas. Anyway, um, but they wanted to say the the main takeaway they remember from it is just how it broke Coppola for his future. Uh, his next film in 1982 was a $26 million musical that made over a half a million dollars. And uh, I'd argue he's never quite recovered. So I think that sounds like one from the heart. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, and is that good? Uh, no. No. Okay. Um, that's too bad. I mean, it's a- interesting. It's beautiful. The, like the, the 
just images from it. You could just just look at some images from it. It's 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 a really pretty idea they had. Got this old Hollywood like like artificial reality aesthetic it to it. Kind of like La La Land from these pictures I'm seeing. Oh really? I've never seen La La Land, but really? Oh, that's surprising. Um, interesting. Um, I have I've liked it some of the times I've seen it. Um. But this look, isn't Tom Waits, didn't Tom Waits do a song for this movie? I think he did the whole score. Once in the Heart? He did the whole score. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, well, that makes me want to like it. Um, anyway. It kind of, uh, honestly, looking at it now, I'm, I'm kind of like reminded of, like, it's this is not what they're going for, but it's almost like the Mandalorian stuff we were talking about before with like a lot of like fake backgrounds. What's weird about this is like, I think they want you to know they're fake. Like it seems yes. like, oh, yeah, yeah like, it, it was like a play. It was purposely yeah. shot in backlots to have that old Hollywood feel to it, like the old fake movies. And it has Harry Dean Stanton, which basically all good movies have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, and now I wanted. Oh, actually, one more Vietnam thing. Um, this is a, 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 a some Twitter DMs from D Shep. And then four ones, Deshep one 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 one, or Deshep eleven eleven. Um, anyway, uh, so Deshep wrote in to say, "I've really enjoyed all your Vietnam content. I think you should check out When the Heaven and Earth Changed Places uh, by an author named Hayslip. Uh, and she was a young Vietnamese peasant girl who had the war foisted upon her and was able to survive. It's an incredible glimpse into what the war was like for someone living in Vietnam. The book is well worth a read or a listen, um, which is more my speed sometimes, because I like, don't like to use my eyeballs if I can save them for something else. Um, but I have no clue about the Oliver Stone film based on it. And then in the opposite direction, Sympathy for the Devil by Kent Anderson, who was a special forces soldier in Vietnam. And his book is basically a series of vignettes of what it was like for him um, and a very good glimpse of the trauma of the Vietnam, uh, of the Vietnam War. And then finally... Uh, if you just want to be severely depressed by an American war criming in Vietnam, which who doesn't, um, Kill Anything That Moves by Nick Tercy uh, is an incredibly sobering read about just how awful the war was and what the U.S. did. Anyway, I just want to say that I enjoyed the recent content, and if I weren't unemployed, I'd happily become a meat buddy, as your show is one of my uh, regulars for the past five years. Um, <laughs> to which I gave, this is a new I, thing. Why are you reading that part? <laughs> Um, it's the thing that people say, and I like to. I wanted to add that um, sometimes people say this where they're like, "I feel bad that I can't become a meat buddy," uh, and I just want to. I, I want to make. I haven't made this yet, but I want to make a gif that is like me doing like the sign of a cross, but in meat or something. Anyway, it's like a bacon <laughs> cross. Anyway, it's like I forgive you. You don't owe me shit. That's what I want to say to people. Is like, yeah. you, like I am flattered and confused every time people donate to the show. I really do appreciate it, and I try to use the money um, for, to pay artists to come hang out with me because um, I'm yeah. a little bit like Johnny Depp. But I also don't think you should. So don't. I, also, anyway. I would like to just suggest real fast, if you really want to get like a very even-handed, truthful portrayal of the Vietnam War, uh, there are several Call of Duty games that I think <laughs> have very uh, certainly. Well, you know, I Ronald can... Reagan is in the new Call of Duty. Oh, like, yeah. that might, that's I mean, probably great, right? Yeah, I can't wait to be one of Reagan's boys uh, yeah. and uh, kill some Charlie Reagan's Ford. boys. Uh, so yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I think that yeah. I mean, there's uh, there's several Black Ops games that have missions that take place. So you know, definitely check those have out. War- did- and they they actually do have uh, missions where you do war crimes. I remember that that yes, is actually so a thing in that game. Fun. Experience yeah. from a first person perspective. Definitely go with the um, 
completely accurate and not at all jingoistic propaganda that is uh, Call of Duty. All right. So then lastly, before we go, um, I've mentioned this before, but we are uh, doing the thing. If you do decide to donate to the show, if for some reason you don't care about your money um, and don't want to be absolved of any Meat Buddy emotional debt, you're welcome to become a Meat Buddy at Metreon.com. But if you do, one of the bonuses, you get to ask us questions that we can discuss. I'm calling them infrequently asked questions. It can be specific to you. It can be very generic. Uh, It can be movie related. It doesn't have to be. This one is... So I'm going to start with a question or not start. I guess we did one a couple weeks ago. I'm going to continue with a question this week from Chelsea who says, what are your best and worst movie theater snacks? And what is your favorite quarantine replacement? Anthony, you are the only one of the three of us, I believe who worked in a movie theater. Mm -hmm. And I thought because of that, it would like the smell of popcorn would be unpleasant to you, but you still love popcorn. So that's interesting to me already. You like popcorn. I am definitely, uh, I I like uh, some popcorn, some red vines. I am a red vines guy. I prefer those to Twizzlers. Oh, uh, and like a nice loads drink is usually my theater. And occasionally, um, my wife really likes uh, dips. The uh, whatever the oh, it's like cookie dough covered in chocolate. Yeah, it's ice right? cream covered in oh, chocolate. Oh, the ice cream. So one. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, she really likes those, so I usually get uh one of those for us to share. But yeah, I'm a real like. Old school red vines, popcorn, and like a Sprite. Or a and what are you doing in your at home movies? Do you ever do? My, when I watch movies with you, sometimes we have snacks. Generally, it's mostly just like we, we a lot of Lacroix floating around. What are you mm-hmm. doing for your movie snacks uh, now? Lacroix and uh, a lot of uh, chips. Heather and I have been on a real Doritos kick recently. Ooh, um, interesting. So I've been eating a lot adult of- Doritos. Yeah, eating a lot of uh, chips while we're doing that. And then also, I have a real sweet tooth. I eat candy a lot. Uh, yeah. So I usually have like a bag of candy when we're watching a movie. Interesting. Hunter, what's your uh, movie theater and what's your at-home movie snacks? All right. At the movie theater, bacon. Okay? <laughs> I like to bring in strips of bacon, uncooked. Okay? I like to cook it in the place. You know, get a little... <laughs> One of those you got like a Foreman grill and a car battery, and you yeah, sit in the yeah, seat yeah, next yeah. to you. And I just set up. And I'm like, it's bacon time. <laughs> <laughs> and it, um, it's, you, you'd think you wouldn't get you, you know, because they're like they have those goggles to check for electric electrical items, and they somehow miss the appliance. Also, yeah. it's not quiet, and it does smell. So you'd think yeah, you it smells. More. It's the, I get them really sizzling too. I like it crispy. <laughs> um, no, I've, I'm a big I'm a big smuggle stuff into the movie theater. You are. I was, that was going to be my next question: Is do we smuggle or do we just? Oh man, uh, I love it. The, it's the so it's there. the funnest crime you can do. Yeah, um, it, it for me depends on um, what how big of the theater chain is. If, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. If it's like, yeah, sure. I'm not smuggling well, food into like the you know theater. the Hollywood yeah. or something like that. Yeah, like something like a small independent. I will always buy concessions, even if I don't want them, just because it's you know I like this yeah. big part of what keeps them afloat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but like a big chain, no, I'm hitting the grocery store across the street. Dude, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm. Yeah, if I'm going to like the Regal or whatever, I'm. I, yeah, they're not getting they're not getting my money in that way. Um, yeah. So I grew up in a in a, a household that did not ever purchase snacks at a movie at movies, and then it's but true. also was not into stealing. And so, um, I <laughs> like I just movies were not be clear. I did not. I don't steal the food 
that I then take into yes, the yes, movie. Yes, I'm so theater. sorry. You're, uh, I guess, smuggling is what I meant to say. We're smuggling. not into smuggling yeah, um, my, my household. Fine. And I'm still not into smuggling now as an adult, even though it seems cool. I'm just the worst criminal. Like, I, if I, like, the times that I've tried to bring a beverage in my pocket or something like into a movie theater, which is not that often, um, but when I've done that, when the person's taking my ticket, I am the most criminal looking person. Like, I'm, it, like one of those shows where they can tell if you're lying would be like this person is probably not because it's too obvious like yeah every, I, they're like what's your ticket for and i'd be like i have nothing it's not <laughs> it's for later like I, this is so this is true like the entire time i'm walking to the theater i'm thinking of what will i say if they catch me what's my excuse wow. for having a Lacroix in my jacket and it is I was like, well look it, you know i had to go to the store this is for my sick mom i'm bringing it to her afterwards i'm not going to drink it inside like I'm the worst. I'm just so bad at crime. I'm so bad at lying to people. And I just can't, I can't look a movie ticket person in the eye and be smuggling. It's just you know, too much. I panic. I, I do wonder if we're talking about something you can actually get in trouble for. No, you can't. Um, I've you never, can't. I mean, I don't know what would happen. What I, mean, I assume Regal could throw you out if they wanted no, to. They and is that what the, re- no, they don't give a fuck. Just do whatever you want. Uh, no movie <laughs> employee cares. No one's going to do anything. Uh, I mean, they've have they have to have heard by now. We're not breaking a story that people are sometimes taking their own snacks in. They have to know. Exactly. Yeah, they know because sometimes. Well, and I'll tell you this. You know, clean up after yourself. That's. Uh, I mean, I would never ever. Right. You know, even when I have my big bacon set up, where I come in with the <laughs> grills and everything, and cook my own you, shit. You bring a you bring us a, a separate jar that used to be for like pickles, and you pour the grease into yeah. that and carry yeah, it home. I'm not, the, I'm not leaving. Nobody's dealing with my grease. I'll tell yeah. you that much. I got that tattooed on my butt. I. But also, here's the other thing. I'm not doing like incredibly well financially, but I'm an adult, and it turns out, even though it seems expensive for popcorn, I can buy popcorn. I can afford it, and so also. No snack that I can bring in will be as warm and delicious as popcorn. And so ah. as my adult thing now is that I really like movie theater popcorn a lot, it turns out. And I will make popcorn at home when we're watching a movie sometimes. I don't. It's And I can't do as good of a job. It's nowhere near as good as movie theater popcorn. Even when you get the one that's like, this is movie theater popcorn flavor. It's not. No, right. You can't trick me. They tell the rubes. The real stuff. <laughs> you know. Is, Anthony, is I, I believe you told me at one point it's a different oil. Is that what it is? Well, yeah, I mean, it's the oil and there's like, you know, every movie theater is going to be different. But like, um, there's usually like special seasoning you put in with the kernels when you're popping. Oh. That's kind of what usually gets the flavor. Man, I love movie theater popcorn so much. And I like I will if we're going to go see a movie, I will like eat a little less during dinner because I'm also perpetually trying not to gain any weight. And so I will. Um, not because I've got a role in a movie, but just because if I eat food, I tend to gain weight. And so I'm always yeah. like, trying to be careful. I'm living um, that so- life right now. It sucks. You got to get <laughs> rid of the food. Somehow, somehow you got to cut the food out. I mean, I, I, my, and I'm not even losing weight. I'm just on a, and I, I have to battle to maintain an unpleasant weight. That is what my life is like. It's just like, <laughs> I'm always, I'm always fighting to stay heavy. I got a gross story real quick about movie popcorn. Uh, I had this friend. I grew up with some real punks. And I had this friend that used to, they would uh, fish out. They would go into the garbage and they would get. I know this already. And I'm not, actually, I'm not as disgusted as you sound. I mean, I wouldn't do it, but I I get it. 
I just think it's I think it's you know, gross. the story and, for people who don't know where you're going, but so, I know so where they, you're going. they fish out a used popcorn thing, like a container of popcorn. They take it out of the garbage and then you go get a popcorn refill. And yes. if the and if it's a movie theater where those are free, you just got free popcorn. And all you had to do was reach into the garbage. Yeah, it's one of those loopholes that's like I mean, if you want to exploit it, like, yeah, cool. Yeah, See, like, right. I'm just down for the loophole of bringing the stuff in with you. I'm not gonna yes, jump yes. in the garbage, like, because to, to well, me, I just yeah, think it's ridiculous. I mean. There's like sometimes you're like somebody tells you that they've found a loophole where it's like, but the cost. Yeah, right? this is yeah, like you didn't, dude. And this person did system. this regularly system, every time, every time, every time they did this. Yeah, the system I've just does. The reason why that. this loophole exists is because the system does not believe that you would be gross enough to do that. That you would debase yourself that much to eat garbage popcorn. Well, it's the debasement I, part. It's not even the, that. I think it's really that gross. It's just like, oh, come on, now you want it too yeah, bad. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, the other thing is, like, in reality, the movie theaters are usually paying more for the containers than they are for the popcorn. Well, that's, yeah, that's right? true. Like, the, the containers <laughs> literally, popcorn is so profoundly cheap. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. If we yeah, don't yeah. have to give you a new container, you can just take some of the fucking popcorn. We don't, yeah, we don't yeah, count if that like, if, if you would just bend your head back and let us pour this oil <laughs> and corn into your mouth, it would cost us nothing. We do not care. Yeah, so there is definitely like that kind of element to it as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, that's very funny. And I mean, but that's why that they're able to make this insane business model where like the movie distributors keep the money from the first few weeks of the movie. Like all of this nutty stuff, the way this contracts work, they're able to do it because corn is free and they charge you $15. Right. And it's but it's so good. It's so good. You know how they get me though? They get me with the alcohol cuz I'm not going to smuggle alcohol into a place. That just seems like too much. That's like a bridge too far. Oh, interesting. So like that's too I punk. will buy a beer at a at a place. So that's like how they win me back. You can't get me with charging me too much for popcorn cuz my brain gets like it, my brain just won't let me do it. But right. like and also I don't really like popcorn that much and I'm so like I'm smuggling in like candy and soda, but for some reason like beer is like very much a, a bridge too far. There's no way I would ever smuggle a beer into a movie theater. Uh, so if I've, you got that, I'll buy that from you. I've uh, I when I did drink, I uh, have bought a lot of beer from movie theaters, and I've smuggled in even more. <laughs> uh, I've, I've smuggled in a long list of drugs and other substances into movie theaters <laughs> over my years. Um, I will say, if you are bringing smuggling something in, one besides cleaning up for yourself, one of my rules is that you have to be a little sneaky. Like, if you're going to crack a can, I know that you didn't buy it here, yeah. so just try to do it at a loud part. I just, like don't rub it in my face that you're being you're a lawbreaker. Just like be nice about it. That's how I feel. Yeah, I bet nobody's ever known about any of the weird stuff I've done in there. <laughs> yeah because you're you're sneaky i like that about you yeah and i go Um, by myself a lot of the time what do you do what do you do for a movie at home hunter oh for a movie at home um well i'll tell you what i've been doing lately so i learned how to cook eggs i've never known how to do that in my life because i'm congratulations but but now i know how to cook eggs and let me tell you i'll i will just suggest that i cook some eggs at any time even if it doesn't really make sense and i did suggest (laughs) that the other night we were about to watch the leftovers and I was like, you know, eggs would probably be good with this, right? <laughs> You've uh, got one trick. And so you're like, every chance you get, you unveil that. Oh, trick we again. need some eggs right now. You know, that'd be great with this. You've been That's watching the leftovers. 
Oh yeah, I love that show. That's one of the yeah. best shows ever made. Yes, yeah, I I agree. One of my favorite TV shows ever made. Uh, yeah. Glad you like it. Look at that, you guys. You guys have so much in common. <laughs> All right, um, we're gonna wrap on that. If you guys, if you are a meet, if you are a meat buddy and you have questions you want us to discuss, movie related or not. I have some coming up that are not movie related at all and a couple of like very specific movie questions. So we're going to get to more of those in the future. Infrequently asked questions available only on Patreon uh, for our meat buddies. Or if you're meat buddy who's not on Patreon, if you're before meat buddy, you can just email me. That's totally fine too. Um, and then also let me tell you about the thing that's happening. Um, so next week um, I'll tell you about our upcoming movie after I play the theme music, but uh, in between now and next episode, we're going to, I'm going to release a bonus episode that I'm going to record with Ez- with Ezra that is called Ezra credit. So the Meat Buddies voted on an extra credit movie for me to watch, and I was able to f- convince Ez to watch it with me. So we're going to do an extra credit, and I am very excited about it. We are going to watch uh, Bill and Ted 3, the new uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music that came out uh, recently. Um, and I had not seen Bill and Ted 1, and I had not seen... And I'd, I saw two for the show, but it was like a crazy... Like I watched three Johnny... De- or not Johnny... De- three Keanu Reeves movies <laughs> in the same day. And so I... Uh, uh, did not remember it at all, and I had not seen the first one, so I did not like it, and it did not make sense. But to prepare for this, my wife and I watched the first two over the last week, and I loved them both a lot. Yeah, um, very so good movies. Really good, and I've heard great things about this one, so I'm looking forward to seeing this third one. And also, um, Ez and I are working on this other project that has about time travel. So um, we're working on a we're writing a book about time travel, and so we've been like talking about time travel all the time. So we're going to talk about time travel in the Bill and Ted universe, which is at least in the first two one of my favorite uses of time travel where you're just, it's just dumb. And I like a dumb, like not trying to outsmart the world. It's just like, how can I use time travel so that it's fun for this movie? Right. And I enjoy that a lot. Party on. Uh, yeah. Party on. It's so fun. It's so, so fun. So we're going to watch uh, Bill and Ted face the music uh, for Ezra credit uh, available to everybody, but the movie was picked by uh, the Meat Buddies. So if you want to uh, vote on next month's Ezra credit, or if you want to submit a question to Infrequently Asked Questions, you can do both of those by becoming a Meat Buddy at Metreon.com. And I really appreciate everybody who supports the show. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We'll be back again next week. I mentioned Ezra credit, but then our next full episode next week, we are talking about the 1994 Year of Movies film quiz show. We're going to be talking about Quiz Show, which I remember being a pretty good movie, but we're specifically watching that because a friend of ours, uh, Hunter, did you ever meet Andy? I don't know if you ever met him. I have never met Andy. But you no, benefited from his hard work at some point because yes. he did a lot to build the Portland <laughs> comedy scene. Um, but uh, our, our friend Andy Wood uh, was on Jeopardy last week and did pretty well. Uh, he is way smarter than I realized. And so we're going to have him on and we're going to talk about the film quiz show and use it as a springboard to talk more about his experiences with Jeopardy. And I'm very excited about that. So those look for both of those this week um, and all over the... This is a Thanksgiving weekend when you're supposed to be, you know, taking it easy. But no, we're doing double content. That's how committed I am to not dying from this show, <laughs> for the virus. Because I'm staying inside, yep. watching movies like Thanksgiving, a holiday particularly known for taking it easy. Not No one ever stresses around Thanksgiving time. I so, no, I'm saying I'm taking. Uh, well, that's true. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, you are supposed to have a day off work. I'm, you know, uh, because Jesus got turned into a turkey or something. I don't remember. But the yeah, that's what happened. No, you're right. Yeah. Oh, really quick aside. Uh, I did, we haven't finished this yet, but my wife and I's documentary this week is um, a PBS documentary on the Pilgrims. And uh, let me tell you what, not the nice dudes portrayed in all Thanksgiving plays. Yeah, I don't oh. know if you guys have heard about this, but it turns out. 
some religious nutters is what yeah. they are. Huh. They're, so, they're kind of pieces of shit. It's crazy. Wow, completely blowing my mind. I know. Right I don't. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to like. I don't want to blow their spot. You know, like they've got a pretty good thing going historically. I don't want to mess it up, but whew, not what I. Not the people I was led to believe when I was making hand turkeys. Let me tell you. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, thank you guys so much for hanging out. We'll talk to everybody next week. Uh, wait, thank you for joining me, Anthony Lopez. Yep. And Hunter Donaldson. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> Man, I can't wait each week for you to reveal one new bit of technology on your soundboard that you spent yeah, all that Yeah, I'm going to keep adding stuff to it, and it's all going to be done. Wait. Awesome. All right. We'll talk to you both next week. Bye. Bye.